Welcome to The Real Work, a podcast about opening access to career success and workplace belonging for everyone. Presented to you by the team at Lantern Rouge. Through these community conversations, we want to learn and share how careers actually work and how we show up for each other in all manners of professions, unpacking the experiences that shape us and how we can each play a role in designing our future of work. Here is your host, Alex Lamb, an organizational psychologist and the chief executive of Lantern Rouge. My guest today is Bowie Palachek. Bowie is a practicing commercial and public artist, creating street art, commercial murals, and traditional sign writing fit-outs with a clear focus on handcrafted topography. She has led large-scale street art projects and workshops, and her art has exhibited in solo and group shows internationally. Her artwork exposes identity, mental health, and connection to nature as a means of support through difficult times, which is why she's a wonderful guest for our podcast today. She's a strong advocate for women supporting women, conservation of the natural environment, and positive psychology. Our conversation today traverses the experience of being a sole trader, what it takes to make independent career and work decisions, and how you weave the ladder as you climb it, as Bowie puts it. We talk about self-resilience, gratitude and confidence, finding like minds, and the experience of performance reviews when your work is so directly exposed to the public audience. There's gold nuggets in here for anyone in or thinking about taking on a portfolio career, not just in the arts, but in general. Enjoy. Beautiful bio. Welcome, Bowie. We're really glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So first of all, I've actually got a gift for you. Um, our last guest, Vaughan, offered you this golden nugget, so I said I would pass it forward. He said, have fun doing the interview. Oh, yes. <laughs> so that's the gift. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, Vaughan. He was a pleasure to interview. So I guess just to start out, like the work you do as a sole trader and an artist is just so varied, as we've heard from that, that bio. And some people would see it as very brave to be independent and working across such a diverse portfolio where you're really self-governing and taking your own direction. So how would you describe the pros and the cons of that working lifestyle that you have? It has been complicated to try to explain what I do to people. (laughs) There's a long list of skills and uh, they all seem just as valid as each other to me. There's different moods that I'm in where I really go for months at a time where I really want to focus on one and harness that and then having the ability to sort of pivot and explore another avenue and another medium Uh, for another year or another six months or, you know, another decade is Mm. pretty exciting. So I do think that it's been brave, but it's also come from uh, a journey full of twists and turns where I'm just navigating my path, kind of rolling rolling with what's been available to me at the time. Mm. As far as mentors, like, you know, what skills I'm learning and where I'm travelling and picking up skills, so just picking things up along the way. Mm. So it makes me think of of like uh, quivers in my bow, bows in my quiver, arrows in my quiver. That's good. Yeah, arrows in your quiver. I was going to say, but some other people they say, you know, I've I've notched up a couple of scars, but it's uh, bows in the quiver is a much nicer (laughs) metaphor. Um, Just because it's like positive things as well as the tough things, I guess that that create those experiences that we emerge from. It sounds like you're kind of responding to opportunities and feeling your way forward. so with like bravery, 
when we use that word, it's brave, having a portfolio and kind of navigating your own path forward. You're not in a traditional organisational structure where somebody's telling you what the next steps are. With that bravery, I think a lot of people perceive it as coming with some vulnerability as well of like, how do I make these choices and am I out in the wind? So how does that come through for like people in your position of, um, you know, the emotion of making the decisions? Yeah, that that was a realization for me about um, about five years ago. I felt very overwhelmed by this realization that I no one had been doing what I had done before. You know, there really weren't people that I could, especially women, that I could sort of talk to and follow in their footsteps. I just had to. I started thinking about um, sort of weaving the ladder as I climbed it you know like it became this very visceral experience of being yes the freedom of being able to choose which step to take forward but the overwhelming kind of anxiety of what what is it going to be and is it a reliable step I suppose and Mm -hmm. having to build up the resilience that sometimes it hasn't been reliable and it hasn't worked out but um but finding the courage to just keep moving forward anyway yeah and so what are the elements like I believe you've mentioned mentors. I know you've talked about this, like one foot in front of the other on a, on a ladder. What do you find? Like when you're at a, are you aware when you're at a crossroad or when you're at a moment where you're having to find courage or is it something that you're kind of more aware of the resources that you use in retrospect to get yeah, through? I was, I was talking to a friend about this last week uh, who was also commenting on um, courage and bravery in my path. Like the more he learned about my path, the more he was sort of, blown away at my ability to roll with the punches and to keep moving forward even um, through adverse through adversity. Mm-hmm. He's a professional BMX rider and won the X Games and is like throwing his body around yeah. off buildings and up into the air. You know, you talk about courage and bravery. <laughs> and scars, yeah. <laughs> we we realised together really that um, courage comes from fear. It's not, it's, you know, it doesn't feel like a safe space to come to a crossroads where you have to go out into the unknown is a really scary place to be. You have to leave the familiar and the safe and just launch yourself out into a really, really vulnerable space. And leading up to those moments um, feels very frightening. It feels Mm. like I'm not, you know, for me personally, it's like something doesn't feel right. I'm not on the right path, you know, or that path has run its course, you know, and I have to, I have to keep bettering myself or like mm. learning or moving something somewhere new because I'm not satisfied here anymore. It's not serving me anymore. So it does, it's not like a, a feeling of I've arrived and I'm here. Wow. Cool. <laughs> now I'm going to take the next step. It's like, okay, I've been working towards this for three years and now I'm here and I don't want to be here anymore. And what does that mean? Like, what does mm. that look like? That's, not this isn't how I thought it would feel <laughs> I've achieved feeling. my goal and now yeah. by the time I'm here I've actually got new ones and I need to start working towards those now yeah so constant goal setting mm-hmm. constant feeling your way through it sounds like you've got people around you like work nutting it through through conversation as well as like I do like nutting things through through conversation I talk to my family a lot about um ideas uh, I think at the end of the day, though, I've developed a really serious self-resilience and reliance and process a lot on my own. I haven't found, I, 
to be honest, I've really only just cultivated confidence with this style of lifestyle Mm. recently. So in the past, it's felt like a bit embarrassing that I haven't been satisfied with where I am. Like I seem to be moving at such a faster pace than a lot of my friends who are just sort of chipping away at office jobs and like really patiently going about the the structures that they're living within and I can have I just have so much more control over what I'm doing so I'm able to progress a lot quicker through skill learning and um uh, pivoting you know and taking mm-hmm. on new responsibilities I can really rapid fire through a year and gain like massive ground in that time so to keep telling my friends well you know a life that looks so dreamy from the outside in isn't satisfying. I want more or I want this or I want that can be a bit um, like I've felt a bit embarrassed by that at times. Like I'm not connecting Mm. with my friends on the same level because I'm living like such a completely different lifestyle to most of the people around me. Um, Mm -hmm. So just lately it's come with like a lot more just gratitude and confidence for the ability to do that and sourcing people, like-minded people who have the same sort of ability to um, be responsible for themselves. Yeah. Picking and choosing who I'm talking to. Yeah, so getting the right energy to that propels you rather than, like, having to explain or over-explain what you're, yeah, how your choices happen. Also, and and uh, not necessarily over-explain but under-explain, like, I just wouldn't, mm really talk to them anymore I just stay small keep these ideas in my head and try to navigate it on my own but when you open yourself up to like-minded people who are able to do the same things like the possibilities grow so much more you can expand so much bigger Um, it makes a really big difference yeah and so how do you find those like-minded people that is a great question. <laughs> um, well, other mural painters, like other female mm. public artists, are really great to talk to about it. They understand a lot of the, um, like we definitely have a sense of camaraderie between the hardships of both communicating in the public realm and the physical side of mural painting as well. Mm. Um, art residencies are great, talking to other creative people about both, um, about giving value to your own creative ideas and val- like um, making them as big as you can while navigating the societal structures that we live within that are, you know, you, you have to work within the system. Limiting. Mm. They are limiting at times. So, you know, you might meet, I might meet an artist that's done environmental science work with a local government and, you know, how did you get permission for that? Who did you talk to? Like how did you navigate that and actually succeed in that project? Because a lot of the time red tape can stand in the way. Yeah. So you just ask a lot of questions and um, I really like conferences and uh, any any opportunity really to have a conversation mm-hmm. with them and see what I can learn from them. Yeah. And so what is topical for these people at the moment? Like when you think about that, um, that sort of broader group of people who you might see in your um, conference world, let's call it, but then even more so that niche world of like female mural painters. Obviously, I can imagine there's not a big gang of you. <laughs> um, so, what is really important to that group at the moment? Like, I, I know through this, you know, through this year, it sounds like so many artists have seen a real shift in the type of work, or if, even if not the work that they're getting. So, I assume that that is top yeah. of mind. But yeah, I think a lot of people across the board, not just artists, are talking about the state of the world at the moment. 
public artists have a wonderful opportunity. It's, it's a soapbox. Like you have public space to execute ideas through. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the conversations going at the moment are around environmental issues, political issues, um, well-being issues, you know, through COVID, mental health, and also the uh, Black Lives Matter movements. There's so many important topics at the moment that the, for, for me, I mean, I've always, I have always felt this way, but certainly across the board I'm noticing the public artist isn't putting themselves, the, the individual forward anymore. We're speaking on behalf of groups that don't mm-hmm. have a voice. You know, I'm really passionate about this. I have been before the bushfires and COVID, but this year more than ever, people are just like crying out to be heard. And we have we have the creative skills to communicate on their behalf visually and also the space to execute that, you know, mm. in the public realm. So uh, it doesn't seem appropriate anymore to be putting pretty pictures up on the wall unless it's a unless it's an advocate for, you know, taking space and breathing and like creating um, opportunity of some joy. People need a break. Creating opportunity Mm. of like presence and mindfulness within a really busy cityscape. I can see the value of that. So how do they do that? I mean, it sounds as though if it's not formalized work, because I have this perception and this is me coming from the outside in that like art has this opportunity to be a salve, salve at the moment you know, something that we can reflect yeah, with. That's yeah. Like, I like that. To just balm you up, you know, <laughs> to make <laughs> you feel a little bit more comfortable. But yeah. to, to make sense of all of this distress that's happening around. Oh, we and can't not, make sense of this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, too, too big of a task. You're right. I don't want to put that on anyone's shoulders. But, but, but to find a sense of camaraderie and, like, yeah. connection through the disconnect. Yeah, I can see yeah. that. And it's a, you know, I feel like through street art you have this opportunity to create connectivity through everybody who's in that urban setting to say noted, that is what I'm feeling or that is how I'm experiencing this at the moment. So it it has this huge power to spark conversations or create feelings for anonymous strangers who are having a shared experience. And yet it's not at the time when maybe companies or governments are paying for that to be done. So does the artist feel like they're responsible to have this voice for a community because it's like a public service or like how, how, how does that feel? How does that come across? Well, that I can only answer from myself. Mm. I, I can't speak for other artists right now. And I know personally my year has been um, fraught with, so much stress really mm. and like pain for the current situation that actually creating and executing ideas has been very difficult. There have been yeah. months where I've had to step back and just focus on something else. So um, it does take a certain personality to see a problem and just dive head into it and articulate it and execute it in that moment, you know, to be able to translate that. And that is like full-blown activism. That's action totally action. I'm a bit more of a passive person. I think I'm reflecting and coming back to it when, um, when I'm emotionally stable enough Mm -hmm. for me. um, No, I do feel a sense of responsibility. Uh, That's not necessarily 
for, for me personally, it's not a responsibility to educate people or to change minds. My calling, I feel like, is much more about just connecting, holding space, nurturing. You know, it's a really caring attitude towards the general public. I don't want to create art that makes anyone feel small or attacked or aggressive. You know, even the International Women's Day work I've done, like I really didn't want to create any work that created a gap between men and women. I want Mm -hmm. things to be very inclusive. So uh, I'm not great. I guess I'm like not the right personality to be up there shouting all the problems in the world and trying to find solutions for that. It's a bit Mm -hmm. like, okay, we can acknowledge that there's terrible, terrible things going on. How can we still love each other and like connect underneath? that and hold space to carry each other through this pain because it's like what we're experiencing on a global scale like we're so isolated from each other and yet more connected you know like more connected globally as an earth than ever before and it's an incredible time that we're living in I agree I mean and we have this concept called obviously post-traumatic stress but then also this post-traumatic growth opportunity which you can well you can never say it to people when they're in the moment when you're at your and whoever knows if they're at their rock bottom I said this before we don't know if we're there now but when you're in the moment it's just like you can't say come on Jimmy pick yourself up you're going to have a huge opportunity for growth out of this it's like come on it's so patronizing but from you know history we know that some personality types do flourish through extreme yeah stress Absolutely. um not that you can do that consistently and ongoing but that the, no, if you have a yeah but I mean I feel like this is the crossroads that we were talking about earlier where it's not a pleasant place to be to create change you're forced like you really are forced to change and the you know days weeks months or years that are leading you to that point of saying no more are hard like they're really tough and of anxiety and fear and like un, you know being unsure and feeling disconnected to create great change in your life you kind of have to be going through a bit of turmoil leading up to that absolutely yeah even in sports they say you know you make the biggest breakthroughs through pain like not pain as in i have a broken leg but pain as in wow i'm really exercising that muscle right now to um to yeah, its discomfort true. you know yeah. so I'm interested in your uh, psychology background. I, I think I should study it or something because the brain, the, I, I just think our mental capacity to just expand and expand and expand and to keep making space for the hardships, you know, of, of life to just continue to grow that big muscle in our head and um, adapt <laughs> That's why I was just looking back up through your bio because just as you were speaking, I remember there was this beautiful describing word that you used and you were just you just had it on display there. So I wanted to come back to it, but I can't scan through. But you definitely did mention like your your focus on positive psychology. So I know you've got that interest and in how it comes through. That's that's ex- exactly what you're expressing through your art is how you just explained it there. Of like, how do we shine a light on things that um, you know aren't abnormal or in distress like you can show those but how do you actually be part of the you know the the opening up moving to the future and I do think psychologists have a big role to play here at the moment maybe as much so as as artists or any you know any of these groups that are that are supporting societies 
Right. Um, yeah, like I've got, in my mind, like government's doing its job right now. Like if ever we needed government, and I know people have their opinion about politics or whatnot, but government is there as this kind of safety net for our infrastructure in my yeah. mind. And then you've got, you know, families at the micro level to yeah. hopefully, ideally, you know, have those strong connections. But then how you bring in like these sort of more urban elements of human yeah <laughs> at a community level like I do think we've got a part to play and and psychologists are about showing people that they have resources yeah. that they're not victims all the time yeah, yeah. and it's I think it's easy to be a victim right now the, the connect the connections in my mind between psychology and my creative practice are that art has always been described to me as the opportunity to show beauty in the world mm. you know to like see beauty where other people might not and psychology for me has been the practice of training my mind to be open to beauty even in times of extreme anxiety and fear and stress. So it's sort of a similar, they, they really go hand in hand for me. I think it's a full anti-anxiety message. Yeah. Myself, well, the individual as well as the, the wider audience. So interesting though because you could flesh that out from a neuroscience perspective that people do need and I, I can't, even before I say this, I counter it in my mind with this trend at the moment around, what do they call it, toxic positivity. Um, toxic, oh, where there's yeah. no negative anymore. Exactly, yeah. yeah that's, um, that's dangerous, isn't it? That's very dangerous. Yeah, you need the dark side and the light side. But I, I do believe that um, you, can, you can guide your thoughts and not all thoughts, like we definitely have, we have biology, we have chemistry in our bodies, we have DNA, those things that definitely play a role. However, like you're training your brain like anything else um, and your thoughts are self-directed to some extent that can be harder for the, for the really ingrained thoughts. But to be able to choose beauty, to choose light, like, you know, versus like who wants to choose pain and ugly like you have to acknowledge yeah. it and know that it's there you can't ignore these yeah, things those, those thoughts are so much easier yeah to feed you know like have you heard that analogy of feeding the wolves inside you like you've got two wolves living inside you one is love and one is fear and they're fighting and the one that wins is the one that you feed mm. <laughs> I don't know if I've sort of relayed that perfectly but this no, makes sense that, to me it's stronger yeah, the yeah. more you feed the love and the light the stronger that animal grows you know and I realized um, probably about three years ago that love warm thoughts just go they just float in the back of my brain you know they're not mm. very noticeable they just continue and they do their own thing and they chip away with me but painful thoughts are right up front they're yeah. really visceral they're super obvious I really experience them in a full body way and I want to you know i I've been working to switch that around. I want it to be the other way where the love and the warmth is really filling my body and in me, like in that present state. And the fear ones are a bit more in the background, like, okay, you're there, but I'm not really letting you speak on my behalf. Mm. Sounds like you've done the first part though, which is at least just noting it. Like if you can identify what is a warm feeling and what is a sharp, painful feeling, that's the first part because you've kind of ob objectified these things <laughs> to say, oh, okay, they're kind of like items. They're yeah. not me. I don't. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm, I'm a step back. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas like when I you're in it, it's a very hard. 
yeah. Oh, when you're in it, it's like, I mean, I'm kind of at this place now where when I'm in it, I just need to get through the day. It's like, just breathe, <laughs> just get through today and tomorrow will be better and try to get through today without making any decisions. <laughs> Don't yep. do anything. Just like go to the garden, just be with this and let it process because tomorrow is going to be easier. And I try not to send any texts to <laughs> yeah. or anything no, like that. Don't sign any contracts. Yeah. Dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm really interested in in speaking on behalf of this dark and the light. And I find my art sometimes goes a bit too light or a bit too mm-hmm. dark. And um, I want to keep trying to bring it back into like a quite a balancing and yeah, to give both sides a voice because there's no human in the world that doesn't have all of this going on inside of them at once, you know, like it's that, yeah, that toxic positivity, it just isn't real. There's no need to really create, I guess that's just popular culture and cinema anyway. And the world that we've grown up in does create fictional environments that displays the human condition in a certain way. And we compare ourselves to that. It's, it is toxic. It's it needs to be explained in the public realm that like humans are so much more complicated than that. Yeah. Our daily lives are so entrenched with like, you know, your entire life's worth of baggage and conditioning and like just things that we're processing on the daily. Yeah. It's complicated. And that comes back to your earlier point around vulnerability comes part and parcel with being brave like this is the human job (laughs) if you choose to take it up and and in fact like being overly positive without recognizing the dark side is a defense mechanism (laughs) against like the pain of like these things hurt being an adult hurts like working in this crummy environment right now it hurts (laughs) and it's just not a like do you wish it on your kid or your friend or no but like we can survive it's not a so for me, like when I hear you say, oh, okay, my my go-tos are I go to the garden or I, you know, I know not to, you know, like sign anything too you know, yeah, important yeah. or whatever. Um, like for me, I have to go back to thinking about my grandparents and my parents and I think about, okay, like here's some people who have got this lovely story of my nana who in the war made a shirt out of, ribbon rations like literally sewed all the ribbons together into a shirt I don't know where this thing went or maybe it's like a mystery maybe it's one of those like family you know life back then though that's what I mean and so when I hear about my my stories for myself I, I try to be compassionate and say look don't downplay it this is rubbish right now however you come from a line of people who can do hard things so work right. Yeah. I'm yeah I'm uh, also grateful for a strong line of women in front of me you know and mm. learning stories about what their lives were like and the choices that they made and just really trying to let that sink in all the things that have happened to lead me to this point in time and feel gratitude for that yeah, yeah and a, that's it's the gratitude that it shapes your mental like from a neuroscience perspective that is literally carving out the 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 streams in your brain to say okay when I get to that junction next time of like do I go with the painful one or do I go with the warm one it's like the warm channel is just much deeper so it's easier to go down that river like a river yeah yeah I've um I read a great article uh where was that I want I feel like it was new scientist magazine but maybe it was a bit more um 
mystical than that. <laughs> Less science-based. <laughs> every I go, now and then. I go to both ends of the spectrum, so it's hard to know. But, yeah, it definitely did speak about what a fear-based decision feels like compared to a love-based decision. And, I'm, you know, you can really tune in and sort of think about how it's going to feel if I walk down that path versus that path. And the warmer ones, your whole body just, like, opens up to it. It's a really incredible experience. And, I mean, we talked about finding the right people too, like really recognising how I feel when I'm around certain people and just, like, really spending a lot more time with the people that yeah space for me and let me let me expand instead of uh helping me feel small restrict i think that's the wonderful thing about your profession like you're using yourself as an instrument to create these expressions and so by nature you're tuning in to what you're feeling what you're hearing what you're experiencing um it's something that I love to bring across into some of our corporate clients who, you know, they're not in this creative space. And so turning on some of that tuned in radio style is really hard. But to your point, it's one of the exercises that we often do is like when you come to a career decision, are you moving towards or are you running away from? And of course we want to be making a decision of like, what am I moving towards? It should be a, like you say, a love based decision or a, a flourishing or a thriving based decision like what is actually going to make me do my best work satisfy my personal goals whatever those happen to be as opposed to am I running away from the the, the things where you're like I'm going away from that boss I don't like that salary that culture blah 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 you've got to solve those first before you can work out what you're (laughs) going towards otherwise you just you jump from place to place and absolutely do you think that there's room for that authentic self-expression in the corporate environment like is the culture changing so that you can really find room to like let yourself sing within these like pretty structured spaces where you're interacting with like multiple you know you're either working in a team yourself big or small or like that team's working with multiple teams and there's just so many layers Mm. that the individual is a much smaller part like not in a bad way I think it's a beautiful system you're working towards something together I'm on my own and that's been really hard. You talk about like quite romantically talk about that self-expression. That's been really frightening yeah, to yeah, have that absolutely. around me. But they seem polar opposite. I feel like I'm standing alone over here and this is like a real fantastic like ant farm of <laughs> yeah, it's people nice working together towards something bigger. And so there's two things I think. Like one is how that ant farm is changing, but two is how the whole work system is changing. So we're actually seeing particularly at the moment that a lot of the more traditional jobs are breaking down and that people are moving more towards portfolios like you. So it might not necessarily be creative, but they're saying, I don't just have one company and one job anymore. Um, Either through redundancy or through self-directed shift, we're seeing more people go to, okay, I've got this three day a week thing and it allows me the flexibility to be with the kids. But then I've also got you know, this hobby photography thing on the weekends and, um, you know, picked up this consulting work these days and then I'm involved with that charity. And so we're seeing people. all of that forward. Like that's create, they're creating like a more uh, realistic picture of, of their personalities. Oh, that's lovely. I Through like that. these conversations, I'm just hearing so much more of that portfolio career of like, okay, this is not going to be as stable as I had before and actually I'd still like my touchstone. If, if I could have a three-day-a-weeker, great, because that gives me, mortgage paid, kids taken care of, but I can go and have an expression of something that is a bit more for me. 
So, look, that's I'm talking about very privileged knowledge workers, right? This is, of course, not the case for everybody. There's, you know, if, if you're in frontline or in manufacturing, et cetera, then it's much more traditional. So that's, I would say, a big shift because companies need less people right now, but they need bits and pieces of really expert tasks done. Yeah, so it becomes like a bit more, which creates a lot more challenge around project management teaming and how the dynamics come together, but it can be really fulfilling because you're not just like check in check out um the second part i would say is around how the companies are shifting like again i do think if you're rank and file traditional jobs blue collar jobs that that is a very different scenario i can't really speak to it but in the corporate setting um i have this feeling like we're having this kind of renaissance of people being human Whoa! Like, allow, I, like I know. Daughter, when you said that, like, <laughs> does anyone hear me? I know. I actually <laughs> I had to think about it. That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Is anybody going to tell me that I'm wrong? But yeah. I, I feel like there's this there's this wellspring coming up of people going work from home threw me into a spin. I've got my kids here. I've got like my kitchen table there. My cats are there. I've got to go get my kid. Like I'm human all of a sudden. You know, I'm not just a working boss. And even for myself, I noticed I had these standards of professionalism where you turn up like this and you do that and you you would never, I don't know, had all these mysterious imaginary rules. And then now yeah. it's kind of like my, fam- my, my family knows what my work knows now and there's no. <laughs> um, so I feel like in the workplace people are having much more real conversations. Black Lives Matter has cracked open a lot of unspoken unspeakables um that needed to be unearthed in so many cultures like obviously i'm here in the u.s it's been just as profound in australia and and around the world like our history is is um you know it's up for discussion now rightly so and there's a pain that comes forward with that and you can't keep that level of pain confined to the street and the home like your work your pain comes with you where you go so I hear our clients having tough conversations with their people. Sometimes they open them up and they don't know how to close them back up again. This is a not saying that they need to be wrapped up in a nice bow. But no, no, but it's such a big, it's, it's, it's a cracked open. Yeah. yeah. It's not something you can just have like a, you know, an hour brief chat. Yeah. Great. Yeah. We solved that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, but there's, I think sometimes people are rushing to solve or like they want to open it up and say we acknowledge, but then like what do you do with all that rawness? Yeah, and yeah. and how how do you create space? Like you said, for even if you know it's not your your personal style, but like sometimes people need space to be angry. This is the moment in time, and rightly so. Anger is the right response. <laughs> you know, we were having the wrong response before. Yeah. So so companies, I think, are willing, and and it takes a lot more emotional intelligence from leaders, managers, colleagues to to have the dialogue. And that's where D&I training was just absolutely failing. But I actually think the people themselves are working it out. <laughs> of like, what was failing? What were you like? Diversity and inclusion training was just restricted by so much legality and so much politeness of are you aware of how the brain works and do you know that you've got these unconscious biases that inflict uh-huh. you and you know come along? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you know that you were programmed by your society? Like, of course we all were. Um, and we still are. That's, you know, that's yeah. how your brain works. But, but so unless you, there's these really um, sort of, and I've totally hijacked your conversation, but anyway, no, sorry. <laughs> there's, um, 
but these really profound, um, I guess you call them diversity, like race, racism studies from I think the 60s and 70s where this, this teacher, totally unethical, she couldn't do it today, took these classrooms and split the kids by brown eyes and blue eyes. And one day the brown eyes were the favourites and the blue eyes were the baddies and then the next day they switch. And she does these. She, she, and it's all recorded. You can watch it on YouTube. It's the most horrendous. Like if anyone did that to my child, I swear I would. <laughs> but <laughs> that's how people internalise messages of, Am I in the in? Am I in the out? And then how those groups, you know, relate to each other. So it's all a fabrication. She created it in this classroom setting and just decided who was who was in and who was out. But then people believe it and internalize it, and then they can start to see how that you know plays out in the decades to come. And as tragic as that is, it's that kind of shocking stuff that actually has outcomes for people's behaviour, as opposed to here's your workbook, come and let's talk about how lovely diversity is for an hour. Like it's, you know, it's not, and you can't, you can't get as um, harsh and as profound and as touching in a corporate environment as what you might need to do if you actually wanted to really see social change. Yeah, the the reality of the, the level that we're at and that we need to comprehend is so graphic. Like it's so hard to see and hard to feel. There's a really incredible MIA music clip. I don't know if you're familiar with this British rapper MIA. She comes from a, oh, gosh, I shouldn't say too much about her background because I don't know enough about it, but she's got an incredible film clip for one of her music videos where a bunch of, um, like, police in SWAT, like a SWAT team jump out and they've um, rounded up all these young teenage boys with red hair and freckles and they are just, like, lining them up with guns in their faces and then they break into an apartment block and just like invade everyone's spaces, just pulling out these like people with red hair and freckles for absolutely no reason other than what they look like. And you kind of watch this film clip unfold and really understand the gravity of like, this is happening every day in so many different ways. And it's so graphic, you know, for us to see because we've never seen it prejudice against white people in that way. Like it's really, Super it's gut wrenching. Yeah, exactly. And it's real. And it's not like it's recent. It's just um we're all talking and aware and and the shame comes out of not realizing how important that was. I think I saw a lot of things through my female lens and knew that there was invisible forces, places I could or couldn't go, histories, yeah. Yeah. places I felt safe. Like I had that lens, but I, yeah. I'd never put myself in someone else's shoes until so that's the work now. Yeah. That's the real work. <laughs> I just love that. Um, yeah, my friend and I were talking about um, being a woman in the workplace. He's a man. He's the CEO of, of international business, so really interesting conversations with him. He runs a construction business, so he's, like, really actively trying to bring more women in and they've got female apprentices and, like, I really love the work that he's doing. But he also reminded me that women are about third in line and to just look behind me and see all the people behind me, you know, like to sit here and talk about like the prejudices against me and how hard my career has been so far because of that glass ceiling above me. Well, like just look at all the people behind me and how privileged I've been. But it's both, isn't it? And I find that challenge is that I definitely, like because we've just had the um, anniversary of the right to vote, women's right to vote in the U.S. and um, a lot of people are posting what where we are because it's it's challenging like it has been challenging it's both like it's 
it, it is. This is just this anniversary since we had the right to vote in this country anyway, not myself. But a lot of people, rightly so, have pointed out only white women got the right to vote then. It wasn't until much later that black women got the right to vote. And so it's both. It's like, was there discrimination against women as a blanket statement? Yes. Is there still yeah. more so discrimination? Yes. Like, it's not like one or the other. <laughs> and so, yeah. time, though, that I, it is a bit frightening having a space in the public realm because it's very hard not to tread on people's toes now. Oh, totally, yeah. There was a, um, like an Instagram movement a couple of weeks ago where we were all posting photos of black and white photos. Of I did that, yeah. And I love <laughs> posting that and I got like more response than ever before and it took a lot of guts for me to post the picture that I did and to talk about the work I've been doing and I don't usually talk about myself that way and I felt grateful for that opportunity and then within by the end of that day it was like oh no you're not allowed to do that you're I you're got totally insta shamed on that one as well yeah. like horrified to realize that I'd done the wrong thing but then also like okay like how do I do this like everyone's talking now in, a, in the best way ever everyone's talking all these voices are happening at the same time and everyone's saying no this no this no this no this it's a really difficult thing to like I, I think actually this is how I felt with the bushfires there were just like fires coming from all areas and the gravitas of the situation was just so beyond my comprehension all those animals all those plants just like yeah. hundreds of kilometers of national park in every direction it was so devastating how do you navigate this? Like our friend just said, just go small, like just take care of yourself and your family and like take it day by day. And um, I don't know, that's not really the answer because that's not helping the situation necessarily, but this is a really no solution. Problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There is no solution. It's to your point around the, the Instagram thing. It's like I, I was having a parallel experience to you. You, you see some people come out fighting and then you see other people come out, you know, sort of inquisitive and trying to get to the bottom of the whole story. And and I actually felt like that's the first time that I'd gotten involved in dialogue where I was like, ah, the whole point of this thing was women just supporting women. And then we got clapped back for being frivolous. And then we got clapped back for not knowing what the source of it was. But right. then the source of it ended up not actually being the source of it. But then right. as the net, net result, it did raise awareness to a critical femicide issue. So it's like, who cares about the path to Rome? I don't. And, and when and when you get there, it all happens so quickly. Point, though, no, it's like, like yeah. <laughs> but within that day, the conversations that I found myself having, and I very rarely weighed in. It was like two or three conversations back and forth. It was like, okay, now here we've landed at understanding that this is about femicide. I don't take my picture down. I still now understand it more. Yeah. But what do you do about it? Like everyone's so busy arguing about how we how it got visible that it's like and that's what you're saying is that it's easier to to either fight flight or freeze <laughs> to argue or to not do anything um or to just you know step back and, and yeah, take care of your own like, yeah exactly <laughs> well, i'm not participating in any more social media movements like just get in trouble that's tough yeah so there's no there is no solution i think sometimes you have to have a guiding principle of like here's the things that i believe in here is my boundary and my protective space because I know that I'll overexpose myself 
psychically yeah. and it just like I can't do it more but I also want to be a positive force in my community in my I want to share ideas whatever it happens to be and I don't know I just find this is the thing that I I, I feel like as I hear your story if you've gone through this process of finding your place to belong these other people where they get you intrinsically you, you have resources you can ask but you just feel known yeah. but that's that space has a restorative um power to it that allows you to go out and yeah. fight the good fight sometimes whether that's environmental or in a hopefully well, not a social media it. storm but yeah <laughs> yeah you get energy from there that's that's really interesting because I feel like we as a culture now we give so much energy to this online space that is completely unreliable it's not safe you're interacting with people a lot of the time I've never met, you know, I might feel imagine a, being a kid on there. I might feel a sense of kinship to followers who have been with me for many years and who comment a lot of my work, but I certainly don't know who they are and um, I can't trust them to support me, you know, through hard times and to be putting so much of our energy like, and I've been told as a creative entrepreneur, like you have to be investing all of this energy into your online platforms and diversifying and, you know, social media and the importance of it. But really, I think the foundations you talked about community then, connecting with my local community, hearing their stories, sharing my own, supporting each other through hardship. You know, it's something that isn't really broadcasted as an important thing anymore. Mm. Sort of grassroots movements are they're happening online too you know grassroots has moved into the virtual realm as well it's a really strange time that we live in and I kept thinking while we were talking about this you know that empower female empowerment movement and things like that knowledge is key and the virtual world is moving so quickly and you have to be so quick to be in it when it's happening you know as a business owner you really need to be jumping on things really quickly even once COVID happened you know the pressure to like move online and start doing online workshops or educating switching it up so that I could make an online uh like a virtual income it's risky creating things without a real strong foundation and moving that quickly as a business owner it really you know, create, creates a very superficial layer of what you're doing and the wrong review, the wrong, mm. you know, comments. Yeah. Could people be. can just really rip you apart and shatter yeah. that. Yeah. And it might not even be a person. It could be some bot in Russia or something um, who just decided they didn't like <laughs> whatever, red hat. Um, that's It brings us on to a good point about your performance reviews, so to speak, because considering <laughs> that you're in yeah. this, I know, you're yeah. in this you know, free, free style space, but you are getting so much unfiltered performance input. Um, and the, just hearing you say that then, it, it makes me feel like you've kind of got this broad anonymous group who, who are giving you performance input by likes or comments or, um, you know, it's very instantaneous. But then hopefully this smaller group of like insiders who you're actually taking sort of more advisory input from. How do you receive that? Because obviously performance reviews in a corporate setting are like, it's everybody's least favourite thing. It's such a palaver of like psychological kind of Well, performance overlays. reviews in a creative setting, in a corporate setting, sorry, performance reviews in a corporate setting are telling you whether you're fitting into that corporate environment well enough. So mm-hmm. there's an existing structure 
that you need to be residing within. And if you're not performing fast enough or you're not a team player or you're not, you know, like working towards those same goals, then you have to adjust your behaviour. Performance reviews for a creative person is like, you know, are you being authentic enough? Are you communicating truthfully? And are you communicating in the right environment so that the people who need to hear that message are actually listening? Are they present Mm. with you? So you can have like the most amazing work in the world, but if you don't show anyone or you, it doesn't, you know, this incredible, um, like a Black Lives Matter mural that's in a, a black neighborhood instead of a white one. You know what I mean? Like like Context, you can miss the yeah. mark with that mm-hmm. execution. So performance reviews for me are mostly positive. If people like the nature of a public art is that it connects with people or they literally just walk right past it. Very few people will engage with your work and then say like, well, I wholeheartedly disagree about this and I'm going to tell you, like, yes. <laughs> I'm going to yep. make a point to go out of my way to tell you that I disagree. You don't get any nanas that, yeah, stop on the well, street. Well, <laughs> a lot of people talk to me while I'm in, like, in, in the act. Yeah. work. So I get to have conversations there and that there is opportunity to, I mean, you know, men talking with certain men uh, when I was doing the International Women's Day work and they just don't get it and, uh, you know, they feel interesting. confronted. Mm-hmm. Even They feel like it's an attack on them even though there's absolutely nothing to do with them or, like, it's just not like that at all. It's just Touches a, a nerve thing. Mm. Yeah. So there have been moments like that in person. Generally, the daily kind of um, tension that I'm feeling right now is that I really want to be pushing my artwork into a much more sensitive realm, really connecting to the environment, connecting to positive mental health and well-being. That stuff doesn't really translate on social media as well mm. as like mm. rowdy motorcycle helmets, like hell yeah, go and grab life by the horns. Like, you know, you get these tiny little like minuscule moments to catch someone's attention and the louder, the brighter, the faster, you know, like you the really more chance you have. Mm. The, more, the more chance you have to grab someone. And then they get they give you that like and you get validation and everything makes sense in the world. Yep. To Dopamine's put, a wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to, to be using social media as a like it's really not the right vessel to be talking about deeply considered and gentle, like softly spoken. Um long burning projects mm. you know what I mean the last few days I've been I've been doing this environmental science research residency I've been really responding to nature and learning stories about the bushfires in my local community and I've been tra- putting that into my Instagram and getting really good response back in the beginning but it's starting to sort of you know people don't really want to stick with you I've just got like a nice small like you know 50 or 60 people that have kind of with me on the journey but I realised that the last few pictures I've posted haven't had, like, much traction at all as far mm. as likes or responses. And here I'm at this crossroads. It's like, well, do I want to stay safe and continue with, like, what I've done that isn't serving me soulfully anymore but I know it gets, like, validation online? Or do I want to continue down this path that right now doesn't seem like it's, like, gaining traction but I know if I stick with it and I gain knowledge and I deepen my experience with it 
I deepen the way I'm communicating it. You know, maybe this isn't the right way to really be executing it. It should be film or rap videos <laughs> or, you know, like maybe there are other mediums that work better here and just like process and just mull it over for the next few months and, you know, sit with this. Then by the time I'm um, bringing it into the public realm, I'm, I'm like hitting the nail on the head as far as mm. executing, like communicating. Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, that takes, again, it comes back to this theme of bravery of being able to hold out, hold that integrity for the yeah. work as opposed to the, the popularity, yeah. I guess, yeah. or the, which. Yeah. This morning yeah. I like looked back through my last five posts and I was like, hmm. <laughs> what am I being told? Like, yeah. Okay, Bowie, like, what do you want to do here? And I, yeah. I just put in like an old shot of something kind of rowdy that I know people like, just like keep them, just to just filter it, it in a little bit. Yeah. But I don't want to. I don't want to silence myself because I'm not yeah. getting likes on Instagram. Like, especially because I know what I'm talking about is both meaningful for my own healing journey and meaningful for my immediate community. The bushfire, like, this yeah. is important work. I can feel that yeah. it's important work. I just yeah. need to like let go of the public's approval for now. Do what needs to be done, and I know that if I connect well to this concept people are going to connect to, to it as well. I just need yeah, to if you can tap it. Yeah. Well, it's a really nice segue to the showcase that you wanted to share around the Keep Tassie Wild, which I checked out the website and it's just such a lovely, lovely business. So for everyone, they're a small profit for purpose business, which I thought was a really nice model. I haven't heard of that before, but makes complete sense once you look at it. They're based in Hobart, which is in Tasmania, and they're focused on pre- preserving the Tasmanian wildlife. So do you want to tell just a little bit about like why they're so compelling? How did you come into yeah. contact with them? Keep Tazzy Wild is um, a really interesting business model where it's uh, run by an artist who was going out into the bush and being inspired by it. And a lot of his work was responding to the um, Tasmanian wilderness and mm. um, taking care of it, you know, emotionally and physically. And he realised that he really wasn't giving back to that space at all. Like a lot of things were happening. He was out protesting and being a part of the conversation, but his art really wasn't nurturing that environment that he was being nurtured by. So he created Keep Tazzy Wild. It's it's just literally it was patches and stickers. Yeah, it's now T-shirts and like beer koozies. Like it's not a big and concept. baby onesies, yeah. And baby, yeah, he's had a baby now, that's right. Yeah. Um, and... of all the money that they make goes to other charities. Like he's not doing the work. He's just a like channel, Mm. the channel. Yeah. And it's gained so much traction because it's cool. It's like a really funky little design that like loads of people, especially young adventurers, you know, surfers, mountain bike riders, like people are really happy to represent something that looks good even though they're ethically aligned with a lot of these charities, they're not really branded the right way to connect with popular culture, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. Josh realised this and he's just playing this medium between the two. He's selling the products, giving the money away, (laughs) and now it's gained so much traction they've raised like over $30,000 just from patches and stickers. Like it's crazy. That now the government's coming to him asking like, well, here's some money. What do you want to do with it? And he's like, whoa, (laughs) there are other organizations that are um, doing like doing really important work. But now he's being interviewed on the ABC and he's just, um, he's just been so successful with it, I think. And it really goes to show 
that you can just look at the skills that you have and ask, how can I use these to better my environment? You know, like I may only be able to draw cool flowers. You know, I'm not out there, I don't know, saving the world, but how can I, how can I use what I have and do what needs to be done? Yeah. And this is your point around like focus on something that maybe is more local to me where I can actually see, you know, here's directly my cause, even though I care about all of that, like what can I control here in my backyard, literally? Yeah, I like it. Thank you. You cottoned me onto them. So I might get myself a patch. Um, Yeah, me too. I don't know if we've got time, but there's an incredible backstory to how I met Josh. His name's Josh Pringle, the owner of that. I went into, uh, I was down in Melbourne uh, while I was studying graphic design. I was the state representative to a design festival down there. And I wagged one afternoon, you know, like I skipped the sessions because I was just super exhausted. It was a really massive week, a big conference, like big talks. And I walked down um, Fitzroy Street in Brunswick, which is a really cool spot. I'd grown up in Canberra, so Melbourne was just this like unbelievable big world. city, yeah. <laughs> I went into a cool little bookshop and record shop and I bought a $5 photocopied zine, like tiny little A5, like little book of illustrations. And in the centerfold was handwritten, if you have bought this issue, like this copy, email me and I'll send you an artwork. And it was Josh Pringle, the owner of what has now become Keep Tazzy Wild. And we became pen pals. We really like had really, obviously I liked his work. I bought his zine for five bucks. Like it was the only thing I bought from that shop. And we just started sharing inspiration and he's really inspired by being out in nature and adventuring and that was like, I don't know, like 12 years ago, like a yeah. really long time ago. Yeah. We just continued this really beautiful friendship, sort of like watching each other's careers grow and, and really supporting each other. And I, I go down to Hobart to stay with he and his wife and I visited his what brother and Whistler and like we oh, just yeah. had this really incredible experience all from this beautiful little handwritten note in a $5 zine. It sounds like a perfect way to meet a kindred spirit. Like if you ever yeah, wanted to be yeah. like, okay, my kind of person is going to be here in this shop looking at this thing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I really like that. What a beautiful, beautiful start to that a friendship. Is, well, I'm glad to showcase. Like, put the, just put the word out. Just leave these little like, like, message in a bottle. Present. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And only the people that are going to be like-minded are really going to see them. That's really lovely. I like that. Yeah. I know it might be a part of your rethinking of like how to reconnect with people off off social media (laughs) some lo-fi ways so let's let's land um i'd love to ask you some rapid fire questions so if i start the the sentence and if you just give us whatever off the top of your head um i've got four questions so the first one is and i feel like we've kind of answered this through our whole (laughs) discussion the world right now is (laughs) cooked Cooked. we are cooking (laughs) it's not a great place Got you. But there's beauty, I should say. There's beauty. Yeah. Newton's law, equal yeah. and opposites. So I do my best work when? I do my best work when I'm connected to myself. Very nice. I want my 102-year-old self to know that <laughs> dot, dot, dot. That I have lived and laughed and loved. Fantastic. And finally, my gift to the next guest is? My gift to the next guest is, oh, it's hard not to say have fun with it. <laughs> You're going to love this. 
Good. That's going to sound funny when I tell them next time. But it sounds like an instruction. Great. All right. Well, thank you, Bowie. The real work wouldn't be possible without the contributions of our whole team here at Lantern Rouge. Production support is managed by Mark Hayes, and our beautiful music is brought to you by Artlist. That's it for now. See you at work. <laughs>